Titus chapter 1, uh, we just have these last few verses, verses 10 through 16. And uh, so I'll go ahead and read verses 10 through 16 if your Bibles are open. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them's a, a prophet of their own, said Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore I rebuke them, therefore, Paul's saying to Titus, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but those who are defiled, unbelieving, nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in their works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, uh, in the time that we have, you would use it to instruct us, to, uh, Lord, just continue to refine us. Uh, Lord, whether we know these passages or not, you would teach us something or remind us something, Lord, that for perhaps uh, we've forgotten. Lord, that just help us to be that much more effective in the body of Christ. We pray, Lord, uh, for not only our church, but churches around this city, around this state, around this nation, Lord, uh, that there would be sound teaching, truth, doctrine, Lord, that uh, you would protect your church, not Calvary Chapel, but the larger church from false doctrine, that we would stand strong in these days, and, Lord, that you would raise up uh, men that would stand for truth, Lord, not in their own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We looked uh, the last two weeks, if you recall, we looked at the order of elders. That, that there was a, Paul said, uh, for this reason, verse 5, that you would set things in order. Appoint elders in every city that, that things would be in order. And then we looked at the qualifications of elders and the fact that they had to be men of high integrity, moral character, surrendered to Jesus, their houses in order, not greedy, not lustful, not, uh, you know, not pursuing uh, things that are self-willed, uh, but the will of God. And tonight, we look at one of the important responsibilities of elders, and that is protection. Uh, and the same would be true in the home. You know, any good father protects the home, right? From, from all kinds of things. I mean, not just... Uh, Generally speaking, you don't have false teachers coming in your house, but you have a lot of garbage that can come through the TV or through the airwaves and a lot of other things, and so you are to protect. But in the body of Christ, uh, there's this shepherding that we've been looking at and the fact that elders have a shepherding role. John Stott said this. He said, the authority by which the Christian leader leads is not by power but love, not force but example. Not coercion, but reason persuasion. Leaders have power, but power is safe only in the hands of those who humble themselves to serve. And boy, don't we know that's true. The only safe power is in humble leaders. We see that certainly in the political realm, but it shows up uh, in churches and in religious structures as well. But humble and loving leaders know that true love sometimes has to warn. Wouldn't you agree? If you really love your kids, you warn them from things. Say, well, I don't want to really, I don't want to mess up their day. You don't warn them, you mess up their whole life, right? 
And always, leaders that are following Jesus are to obey the Lord, regardless of whether they understand, well, Lord, how are you going to use this? You just, if Jesus says to do it, just do it. There's safety and protection from God if we always do the things that he says, even when it's uncomfortable at times. Wouldn't you agree that sometimes just adulting alone is uncomfortable? Right? Sometimes just being an adult is uncomfortable. It's easier to do nothing. Right? It's easier to let somebody else take care of things. But Paul wasn't that way. Paul was like, no, if it needs to be done, Titus, here's what we need to do. We need to fan out. We need to get these leaders in place. And these things have to be addressed. And so if you're taking notes tonight, we're looking at what I've titled Vigilance and Leadership. And the first thing we want to take a look at here in the first couple of verses, verse 10, uh, there are many insubordinate, idle talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. I've circled my Bible the word many. Many means many. It's a lot. Not, a, not one or two. Unfortunately, it has proliferated. What started out maybe as one idle talker is now numerous idle talkers. Uh, one little bit of deception is now a whole lot of deception. One town is now ten towns, or whatever the case may be uh, around the island there of Crete. Now, if this statement in verse 10 were true, and it certainly was, on the island of Crete 2,000 years ago, do you suppose we could see the same problem arise in the church today? Deception and idle talking. Well, of course, what Paul wrote to Titus concerning Crete was addressing specific issues at the time. But the Holy Spirit, even though he was speaking specifically what was going on in Crete then, uh, the Holy Spirit was speaking kind of in a reverberation that the same infections would plague the church down through the ages. This would continue to have to be dealt with because infections of false teaching idleness, all these things would seep back in, and it would require vigilance of pastors and elders in any span of time, any, any decade, any century over the last 2,000 years. This would still hold true, and we still see that. Now, many, again, many, a, a, quite a few were insubordinate. That is, what does that mean? Uh, with a rebellious spirit. A rebellious spirit, a, a don't-tell-us-what-to-do attitude insubordinate to the scriptures, insubordinate to the apostles, and ultimately insubordinate to Christ the shepherd. That's really what it comes down to. The word insubordinate here, take a look at it in the Greek. I've got a couple of um, things we'll take a look at. Unruly, cannot be subjected to control, disobedient. That's what you have in insubordinate. He's saying that this is now... Uh, throughout the flock there, your elders have a fun job to deal with as they fan out and take their post. Idle talkers. How about that definition? One who utters empty, senseless things. Empty, senseless things. Describes so much of our culture now, doesn't it? It's like watching the news. A group of idle talkers. Now, this was long before Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and texting, and I think modern society, we've taken idle talking, babbling, and useless senselessness uh, to a whole new level, right? And now we can do it by the multiplied millions a day, the number of things that are put out uh, on the internet and social media. As I mentioned a few weeks 
back uh, from Daniel's prophecy. Remember, Daniel said uh, that things would increase in the end. There would be an exponential growth of things, both volume and speed. So you get more idle talking, and it even moves faster. And you get more deception, and deception can move faster because now we have technology. You can, you can, actually, you can actually teach something to thousands where it would take you a long time to get from village to village to village. Now you can just go hit it on the airwaves, and you can hit a lot of people real fast. You can catch a much wider net. So Daniel said, for good or bad, and in some cases it's good because now we're able to get the gospel out easier as well, but also these other things can spread quite fast now as well. So information is sped up, and the speed at which we receive it has sped up, and the idle talk and the useless talk and uh, the deceptive uh, you know, theologies and things out there, if you want to call them that, uh, have increased, and they're more frequent, and they move that much faster from place to place. And now, we've all been guilty. I would say every one of us in here has been guilty at times at succumbing to, it could be 10 minutes, could be two seconds, could be five minutes. We've all succumbed at times to a rebellious spirit and idle talking, right? Everyone here, Jesus would say, Yes, even you have had at times a rebellious spirit and idle talking. It we're not immune from those, but the Holy Spirit checks us when we, when we have that. The Holy Spirit says, hey, that's a rebellious spirit in you right now. Hey, that's, that shouldn't be coming out of your mouth. Hey, that's slander of somebody that you're doing. So the Lord speaks to us. We're, we can all be guilty of this, but this doesn't mean it becomes pervasive just because it's one thing to have a scrape on your knee. It's quite another thing to just keep dragging them across the road, right? And so we, we, we have that check in the spirit that, hey, this isn't something. But that was long gone. That, this, that check had not been had. And so now it's just kind of spreading through uh, the church there in Crete. And lastly, now Paul mentions uh, not just the idle talking, but deceivers. Uh, these are those with an agenda that are willing to lie to themselves and to others to change or influence minds. It's not just idle talk. But they're actually deceiving people, changing people's minds. Um, if there were issues of deception in the early church, uh, we can't be surprised that deception is rampant today and continues to creep into the church in, in so many different ways. You know, when Jesus was on, on the Mount of Olives just, just a little bit before the cross, just days actually before the cross, and the, what's called the Olivet Discourse, remember he, one of the things that he said would be, well, he, he said a couple of things that uh, validate the prophecy immediately. One, he said the temple would be destroyed, and of course it was in 70 A.D., so not even 40 years after he said that, that magnificent structure, which I personally believe would have been one of the wonders of all time in the world. Uh, the fact that it's not mentioned, the seven wonders of the world, is more to me probably a reflection of anti-Semitism than anything else, but uh, it was that amazing when you study it historically. But that validated the whole prophecy because he said that when no one could have conceived that happening, and it happened in 70 A.D. But he also said that after he left, this would have been kind of odd to the disciples because the only people that followed Jesus at that time were Jesus' followers. But he said many would then use his name. That many, not a few, he said many will come in my name and they will establish religions in my name that in fact will not be any part of me at all. So we know that that deception started early, and we still see it today uh, with, with cults and things like that. But Paul speaks here of the circumcision. He said, um, 
especially those of the deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. Now, Paul, of course, is not against circumcision per se. Paul circumcised Timothy, who was half Jewish, uh, all Jewish in the sense that his mother was, uh, in, in that the way that kind of they look at the bloodline. But, uh, but Paul is speaking here of the Judaizers, which he dealt with uh, in Galatians, which you see in other parts uh, in, the, in the book of Acts. And these Judaizers uh, were really a problem in uh, bringing the people back under uh, some form of the law, portions of the law, wanted to hold to portions of the ceremonial laws as being essential for salvation, essential to a right standing with God. And of course, that's not the case. You know, if someone comes to Christ in another country and they still want to eat pork and they want to worship on a Sunday, they're just as saved as someone else that wants to worship on Saturday and no longer eat pork. I mean, the, the, Jesus said these, the, these shadows, these foreshadows, were not essential for salvation. It's the faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But it's always interesting. So these, uh, these Jewish teachers that, um, and again, Paul's Jewish, and Timothy was Jewish, Titus was Gentile. He's speaking, Titus, you remember, Titus is the one he's speaking to here. Titus was Gentile, but Timothy was Jewish. And Paul, you know, went into synagogues and actually was well-received almost every time when he first went in. And then he started to teach beyond what they knew. And then, of course, he wasn't so welcome back to the synagogue after a while. But at first, he was always welcome because they could recognize, hey, this guy really knows the Scriptures, of course. He had been raised at the feet of Gamaliel, and he, and he knew the Scriptures. So Paul was very familiar with the law and people trying to insert the law where God had given grace, where, where salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone. And so you have these Judaizers coming in, and it's interesting. Jesus, he always dealt with um, uh, his own interactions with, remember, the Pharisees? And you see, uh, for example, it says uh, one of their own prophets, first of all, he says in verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped, they subvert whole households uh, for dishonest gain. We'll get to some of these things. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, always evil beasts, always gluttons. Can you imagine? Uh, that's not politically correct to say, right? You know, um, to say that all Cretans are these things. It's amazing that you could get a following, but the world wasn't politically correct back then. Did you know that? Actually, that kind of that kind of language actually really spoke to people in a good, well, in a fire them up way, not a good way, but uh, but obviously today we we recognize that uh, that would get you fired immediately. The HR department would be taking you straight out. But um, these guys, uh, as self righteous, as painting themselves as very holy, not gluttons not liars, when in fact they were liars. It's interesting that Jesus, in his interaction with the religious elite, remember he would interact with these religious leaders, and so often, as we saw in Jesus interacting with them, those who are most adamant about their ceremonial righteousness and their worship and their good works and their cleanliness and their holy diet and the words they use and their circumcision and you name it, they are oftentimes the nastiest of all, right? But on the outside, that they pontificate about their righteousness, and that's what some of these guys were in fact doing. 
And they give themselves a free pass with their own rebellious attitudes and their tongues and the lies they tell. But Jesus was never fooled, was he? Jesus was never fooled, nor is the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit reveals through to Paul, these guys are not of me. They're completely false. I, I, I always, it, it strikes me, even in the, uh, uh, even the book of Acts, remember Paul had a girl following him around, and she kept saying, this man is of God, this man is of God, this man is of God. And you would say, wow, this must be quite a follower. And Paul turns to her and just rebukes her outright as, this is demonic. Paul's like, this is all demonic. The, the whole thing was a sham. It was a show. Of course, she needed to be set free. But the Holy Spirit's never fooled. And in 2 Timothy 2.19, it says, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. Amen? The Lord knows those who are his. Jesus does know who his sheep are. And he also knew and foretold the apostles that false teachers and false teaching would make its way into the church. Again, back to that Olivet Discourse that I mentioned. And to be careful in how it's dealt with, um, because some of those that are being deceived are still unconverted and not saved, and even some that might be espousing a false teaching might be saved, but they also might, or they might be unsaved, but they also might be saved. And they were just kind of uh, parroting something that they heard, but they might actually be believers just very immature in the faith or not that grounded yet. So in Matthew 13, Jesus said, don't pull up the wheat with the tares. Be careful. Don't damage ones that might truly be believers that are just misled for a period of time. Instead, get that straightened out and sorted out, but don't just start assuming that they're all non-believers and they all, uh, you know, be careful how you deal with that, but don't assume anything. Instead, go in carefully and follow the instructions that Paul's giving to Titus here. And often, it ref uh, this refers back to verse 9. If you look back at verse 9, uh, we didn't read verse 9 a few minutes ago, but look back at it. It was uh, where we read last week. Holding fast the faithful word as has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those that contradict. Now, that's what I'm doing here right now. I'm not intervening in any false teaching tonight. I'm simply teaching the doctrine that we all know is true. That's verse 9. And so this often refers back to the fact that what's needed in the church is the teaching of the Word and discipleship. Teaching of the Word and discipleship, and I'd add prayer, which we just did a few minutes ago. But as elders... They're shepherds, and they also have to protect the flock. So verse 9 gives way to verses 10 through 16, and the fact that shepherds are to protect the flock, uh, at times, when deception is being spread, there's a staff for a reason. There's a staff for a reason. Staff are to pull sheep back in, but they're also to beat wolves off. Amen? They're there for both reasons. David, David as a shepherd, uses staff to rescue sheep, but he also used his staff to keep wild animals and beasts at bay. Let's take a look at the next uh, set of instructions that Paul gives here. Rebuke, whose mouths must be stopped. 
subvert whole households, verse 11. They ought not for dishonest gain. Mouths must be stopped. He goes on to say, um, this testimony is true, verse 13. Therefore, rebuke them sharply. Rebuke them sharply. If there is something destructive being spread among the body of believers and the leadership becomes aware of it, and I believe the Holy Spirit will always make godly leaders aware of this. I don't think the Holy Spirit's going to keep this. He's going to make sure that he puts a spotlight on these things. He'll bring these things to light. But if, if they become aware, there are a few responses that could be taken. I'm not saying they're the right ones, but there are a few responses that could be taken. So in other words, if you know for a fact the Holy Spirit reveals this false teaching has come in. Yeah, I, I was at a church in Charlotte where we, we were there for two years, and uh, a guy that I, I, I was with him and was in a men's Bible study with him, and, and the men's Bible study was very fruitful and it was growing, uh, and, and you know it was doing so well that they had him take over a Sunday school class, and Sunday school class was like 40 to 70 people in the class, and he started teaching some really weird stuff. And uh, confronted on it, he, he wasn't going to budge, and, and they really had to say, it, uh, <laughs> you're going to have to go somewhere else. This, this, this can't be. It was, not, it was non-scriptural things. But, but there's a few possible responses. You could ignore it and do nothing. Just ignore it. Hey, the person's talented. Uh, you know, people like them. You can just pray it goes away. Pray that it just goes away. You could coddle it and accept it. Say, hey, why don't we all do this? Why don't we all teach this? Or you could do what Paul says. You could confront it and correct it. Confront it and correct it. Now, those of you that are parents, you know that this happens in, in the home. There's things that you would rather not deal with at times, but God doesn't give you an option. As parents, you say, you're going to have to deal with this. It won't just go away, will it? No, because we're, well, the reason why things won't just go away is they're in the spiritual realm. And the enemy's not going anywhere until God finally throws the enemy into the lake of fire. And as long as the enemy's seeking who he may devour, it's going to continue to sow deception, discord, things like that. Now, to rebuke is not condemnation. The only one that can condemn people is Jesus. And people sometimes, well, you Christians, you condemn us all. Look, any godly Christian has never condemned you. Only God can condemn you. We can warn you, but only God can condemn. Uh, we're not in the business of condemning anybody, but it's uh, it is important as far as the rebuke is to purposefully address something head-on that if it's not addressed could cause harm or damage to the body of Christ. Uh, it's never the elder's job to condemn, but it is uh, their job to correct. And it, are, it is the job of shepherds to say, and this is why it's always so important to have Scripture backing you up. Thus says line and verse. Thus says line and verse. My opinion, I I've told people so many times since I've been saved, since 1995, I don't, can't, can't count how many times I've told people, my opinion is worthless. But can I show you what the scriptures say? Don't take my, my opinion does not matter. Can I show you what Jesus said? And that's for good things and for bad things. I was reminding someone today, you know, the Lord's been speaking to me a lot over the last few weeks, uh, Jesus' command, I mentioned it on Sunday, be of good cheer. Eight times in the New Testament, be of good cheer, be of good cheer. I love that simple command because I can just obey it. You're feeling down. You're feeling like uh, the whole world's against you. So you can just stop and say, Jesus is telling me right now to be of good cheer. 
I'm going to obey that command. And uh, by the way, you will see in a matter of minutes your whole disposition change because you can obey it because you have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit and Jesus uh, are both, of course, they're one, but the heart of God has been placed in us to receive that. And so it's, it's a positive thing on the one hand that we, uh, that we have these commands of the Lord, but also these commands are really good at correcting things that are false, things that are in error. So not only do they kind of turn us around when we might be down or dejected or something like that, but they also keep us out of trouble. Amen? They keep individuals out of trouble. They keep families out of trouble. They keep churches out of trouble. So we can say, thus saith the Lord, thus say the Scripture. This is what Jesus says. This is what is written. What you're doing is unscriptural. This is, again, if they're rebuking or coming to correct these uh, false teachers, harmful, deceptive, damaging. Uh, and it's totally needed and totally necessary at times. And you'll know when it's necessary and when it's not. Uh, here's the Greek uh, terminology or the words that are used here uh, for the word rebu rebuke. I love that uh, two words in this, convict and convince. Only the Holy Spirit can convict. So when you actually are doing it in love and in the Spirit, the Spirit will convict, admonish by word, not just any word, the word, to reprove, to convince. And when some, we talked about Sunday, uh, on Sunday, when we are convinced of something with conviction, we're talking about generosity and giving, when the Holy Spirit convinces, convicts us and we're convinced, we, we no longer waffle and are moved. If somebody is, has been taught something false, and I've, I've, over the years, it's been a blessing. Haven't you loved when you've actually run into believers that were taught something that was unscriptural, and when they were shown the right thing, they were like, why didn't anyone ever show me this? I've actually literally had people say kind of things like that to me, like, why have I never seen this before? I'm like, I don't know. It's written in black and white. This is what the scriptures actually say. They're like, this is, this is like a weight off my shoulder. This is liberating. So some of the folks that were there could have been really relieved to see that, hey, I've been misled. But you're also rebuking those that are doing the misleading, and uh, time will tell if they want to continue that route or make a U-turn. The other word here is sharply, abruptly. In other words, uh, Paul says you can't waste any time. You've got to get moving. When these guys are in place, this stuff has to be addressed rather quickly. Now, from a doctrinal or false teaching standpoint, thankfully, I've only had to um, confront this a few times since I took over pastoring the church in 2007, and, and, and there has been a couple times, but not many, thankfully. Uh, and here's the thing. This goes back to the importance of verses 6 through 9. Verses 6 through 9. Uh, Paul, Paul's telling Titus, you've got to get leaders in place so that stuff's not coming in. Right? Because once it's come in, now you have to kind of reverse engineer all this to make sure that you've got godly men. Now, again, verses 5 through 9, not just any men, really godly men. Not just guys that are, well, they got to, he's got, you know, I've, I, I've seen churches over the years. How did you pick your deacons? Well, he's got an MBA. What's his prayer life? Well, we, don't have any, we don't even know if he prays, but if he's got an MBA. Well, if he doesn't have any spiritual depth, You've got the wrong people. Amen? 
you know, we're not, no, God's never been looking for sharp, talented people. He is looking for humble, devoted to Christ people. And then he can make them into anything he wants. Amen? He can make, he can make little David into a king. Not a problem. Saul had all the qualifications with the wrong heart, right? Didn't make a great king. He led the people in a wrong direction. He led them into idolatry even. Now, if godly elders and pastors are in place and the word and discipleship is happening, there's far less chance of false teachers finding a microphone and an audience among the church. Amen? If the right people are in place. If godly parents are in place, there's a lot less chance that anybody and everybody can tear your kids apart. True? Same principle. Remember, everything in the, everything in the house is reflected in the church. That's why, that's why this Paul writes in Timothy, if a man can't order his own household, how can he manage the things of God? They go hand in hand. Arnold H. Glassow said this. He said, one of the tests of leadership is the ability to recognize a problem before it becomes an emergency. Isn't that the truth? To recognize a problem before it becomes an emergency. This now was an emergency, as Paul's writing this to Titus. And in large part, it was that because there was no leadership in place, there was no one to recognize it. And, and whatever leaders were in place had failed on the job. But this underscores the whole reason Paul has written to appoint elders in every city. Wherever there's a vacuum in leadership, Satan is glad to fill the vacuum. Wouldn't you agree? If there's ever a vacuum in leadership, Satan is glad to fill it with two things, either worldliness or false. Worldliness kind of the idle talking, or deception. He's glad to fill it, and he'll fill it in any other realm too. Any other forms of leadership, political, government, business, education, you name it. He's glad to do it. Now, even good and godly leaders will miss something from time to time, or perhaps they will wait too long to address something. Even good, godly leaders will, will fail, just like good, godly parents will sometimes miss something or not address something soon enough. Every parent can look back and say, yeah, we, we probably waited too long on that. Right? Almost everybody. It will happen. Outside of Christ, everyone else is going to fail a time or two. But if godly men are in place, there's not only the truthful doctrine and the good example that's taking place, but they're also building the body up. And so people will, will know the right things and spot the right things. And the flock is healthy too. And the flock, hey, that's not, that's not true teaching. That's not right. That, that's, not, that's not what the scriptures say. There's also a protection against what is untrue and doctrinally cancerous when the right leadership is in place. And so now when these elders have been appointed, <clears throat> they now have this difficult job. Titus is supposed to appoint them. They now have this difficult job of dealing with false teachers, of dealing with deception, of <clears throat> slander. This idle talk has become pervasive. And it's still really true. You, you guys, I don't know how long this cliche has been around, but it's still true today. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? My grandmother used to say it, so I don't know how old it goes back, but uh, an ounce of prevention is still worth a pound of cure. And uh, this is why Paul is writing this. <clears throat> if you're going to effectively lead and serve, you've got to protect and serve. To lead and serve is also to protect and serve. We see that motto with police forces and law enforcement. But sometimes, unfortunately, you also have to clean up after other people. 
Sometimes it's not your fault. You took it, even in your, and it's non-spiritual leadership. You could take a promotion at work, and you stepped right into cleaning up someone else's mess, right? You didn't realize how much stuff was going on there. But sometimes in life, you have to clean up someone else's mess or someone else's lack of responsibility. And that's what these guys are stepping into. It's not an enviable job. Titus had to go around saying, are you godly? Yes. Do you pray a lot? Yes. Boy, do I have a job for you. Oh, no. I'm going to go confront all that mess. I'd rather stay where I'm at. But the leaders that will now be appointed that he's speaking to here, <clears throat> they may not have created these problems, but now, they're have, now they have a God-given. And by the way, I, I read, I read uh, Jeremiah 33.3 and Ezekiel 33.3. One thing that com should comfort us all, once we know God has told us to do it, you can, you can kind of lean back on his authority. And Jesus said, in the Great Commission, he says, all authority in heaven has been given to me, and I'm giving it to you, right? So you never, that's why you don't have to apologize anymore if the world says, hey, you bigot, why are you sharing the gospel with me? You can say, because God loves you, and he's told me to do so. Well, I don't believe in God. Well, he's true, and this is what he, you know, so you, we stand on the authority of what scripture says. So once you've been given a God-given responsibility, uh, these guys will now address it the best they can and leave the results up to God. Paul seems to point out that two driving forces are behind uh, what's coming to the church in Crete. Um, he talks about, again, he says uh, Jewish fables. He mentions the circumcision. This is the Judaizers. But he also talks about the fact that there is, uh, even their minds, their conscience is defiled. There is these, uh, this empty talk. And so we see two driving forces behind the false teaching of what's come in. One is based on the law, and it's spiritual pride, religious pride. The other is based on lust, because he also mentioned uh, a desire for dishonest gain. That's lust. Lust can be sexual. Lust can be monetary. Lust can be power. So there's two forces here. He says spiritual pride and lust. And boy, we always have to check ourselves. Lord, is there a lust for anything? Is there a pride about anything? And Lord, shut them both down in us, but also we don't want to see it in the body of Christ. And may other, other areas of lust, but the lust for money is certainly mentioned here. And, then, and, and again, to go back to the previous verses, Paul said you can't choose leaders who are greedy for gain. If people are in it for the money, they're a hireling, and they'll let anything go as long as the money's rolling in. And we see this in a lot of churches in our country, not just here, but all over the world, where they're, they're in it for the money. So these two areas, law and lust, the Jewish teachers, they were, one, uh, these, these, uh, they were Jewish men, but they were not, more than likely, they weren't converted. If they were, they would have repented when they were uh, rebuked, but uh, they were wanting to insert the law and augment or replace grace with the law. They wanted to reintroduce the ceremony aspects, the food, the Sabbath, the circumcision, uh, but again, as we mentioned earlier, <clears throat> the same attitude we saw in the religious Pharisees, uh, self-righteous, again, their description of the Cretans. Then you have 
uh, the lust, this love of money, and we know the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now understand, Paul's hope and his desire and his prayer and should be the desire of every godly leader's prayer and every believer for that matter uh, comes directly from the heart of God. And that's that there would be what? Repentance. Look what Paul says. He says, um, uh, verse, um, uh, verse 14, uh, he says, turning men from the truth, but Paul's saying uh, his desire is that they would be sound in mind. The pure all things, uh, but he, um, they profess to know God. Where is it? I lost my place here for a second. Okay, back, verse 13. Uh, this testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply. Why? That they may be sound in the faith. Paul's not saying, rebuke them so they can all be scattered and on their way to hell. No. He says that they would be sound in the faith. Sound in faith. Paul says the desire, and no matter who you're praying for, Jesus said even love your enemies. No matter who you're praying for, Lord, I pray they would come to saving faith, sound faith. No matter who they are. And that's his prayer, that there would be repentance and a turning from false teaching a turning from rebellious living, spiritual pride, legalism, bondage, idle talking, the like. <clears throat> Whatever the personal deception, whether a leader is promoting or even prompting or it's a follower who is accepting false teaching, that there would be a humble turning back to the Lord, a humble turning back to Christ. That was the whole reason. Oh, thanks. That was the whole reason that... Um, and we're, we'll be wrapping up in just a second here. That's the whole reason that Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to see people repent, right? Because he knew that if God really gets a hold of hearts, even really vile people will repent. And so God wants us not, not to have that heart. Paul's like, no matter what, I want him to see, uh, see them come to be sound in the faith. Last thing, and we'll wrap it up here. Recognition, just this last verse, just verse 16. Look at verse 16 with me. <clears throat> they profess to know God. But in their works, they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. Last verse we'll look at here. <clears throat> Paul concludes these opening instructions with the recognition uh, that when, when elders are put in place, some might flatly refuse correction. That is a possibility, isn't it? You can't make people repent. You can't make people turn back to what the Lord has said. Some will refuse to repent may not even give an inch. In 2 Chronicles 24, 19, and, and this is true of our nation right now as well, on the whole, not everybody, because you know, last year we baptized people, but I'm saying on the whole, not the individual level, but on the whole, God, and there was even saved, repentant people when Israel was carted away uh, into bondage, but on the whole, the hearts were reflective of 2 Chronicles 24, 19, said, yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord, <clears throat> they testified against them, but they would not listen. So unfortunately, sometimes you can do your best job of intervening, correcting, rebuking, and still people say, I'm not listening to that. If that's the case, they can't remain in the church. Paul's, you know, that's not going to work. But sadly, even as they move on and move out, some of these self-deceived, do you know that some people will be rebuked wisely rebuked, done well, even in love, and they'll go out and still represent, hey, 
I'm still a follower of God, and these knuckleheads over here, they don't know what they're talking about, and yes, it happens. <clears throat> Even as their lives are total contradictions to the scriptures and the instructions of Jesus. Apostate. Jesus confronted this head on. He said in uh, Mark 7, 6, he answered and said, and well, did a, well did Isaiah the prophet prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. He said, they knew what to say, but their hearts were far from me. Jesus said, you'll know them by their what? Fruit. We're not to condemn, but we're to pray for those that are refusing to repent and turn back to Christ. But he said, you're going to know them by their fruit. And that's important because if you couldn't see the fruit, you wouldn't know who to partner with in ministry. Right? I don't have a clue. You know, there's, there's pastors in town that I will absolutely partner with. There's some that I won't. Can't. It's not won't, just can't. Not, if if it's, they're teaching something that's not true, can't do it. But we're not to compromise or partner with that which is false, nor are we to chase down, try and chase down and bring everybody back. If you've shared and they still don't want to repent, the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Jesus didn't chase the rich young ruler down. He said, here's the deal. And he let him go. And we want to reach out with love, we want to reach out with compassion, but it's not the job of the church elders to convince beyond what laying the truth out there. Otherwise, you would never be able to spend the right time discipling those that want to grow in the faith. Does that make sense? Yes. I mean, you've got to be able to invest in the ones that want to grow. If they don't, God says, let them go. Keep praying for them. That's a different thing. You can always keep praying, but it's not, uh, you're not going to be able to track. You, you've got you know, your own family that you've got to defend and take care of. As an aside, unbiblical doctrine will change a person's previous morality, and a person's change in morality will change their previous doctrine. You'll see it. You know, does that make sense? If they used to believe something was doctrinally wrong, they start changing their morals, all of a sudden their doctrines change. When their doctrines change, all of a sudden their morals change. They, they go hand in hand. Now, what it comes down is what it's the lust of a heart. Just I want what I want, right? So then you have to make excuses for it. It's dangerous to accept anything Scripture calls sin. It will infect all of your spiritual discernment. Did you hear me on that? It's dangerous to accept one thing, even one thing that Scripture calls sin, because it'll infect the rest of your spiritual discernment. You start saying, well, Scripture, I, I know that Scripture is a sin, but I don't really feel that way anymore. Very dangerous thing. <clears throat> and it won't bother you. Uh, you know, if, if you really know the Lord, you're not bothered if people challenge you to say, hey, you used to be strong on that. What, what happened? You'll actually appreciate that people care enough to actually build you up in the faith and actually challenge you. Um, time will really tell <clears throat> who really believes in Jesus and who is a genuine follower of Jesus. And um, as we come to a close here, the pastors, the elders, and the leaders, uh, they're not, nor can they make decisions for people. Can't make the decisions for people, but they must have their own hearts right, and they must protect and confront things that can't be taught or brought in, 
And they have to be endeavoring to follow the Lord, and they have to be endeavoring to lead, and they have to be endeavoring to disciple. But there's still the difficult times every now and then where you've got things like this that have to be dealt with. And I'll close with um, this passage. You know, long before Paul, long before Paul ever lived, long before Titus lived, long before Timothy lived, long before A.W. Tozer, long before Spurgeon, long before Pastor Chuck, God promised these words. God promised these words in Jeremiah 3.15. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Isn't that great? I'm, I spiritually have inherited the fact that God has, down through the ages, 6,000 years, continued to put godly shepherds. God says, I will put them. Now, you can choose to follow other ones, but God says, don't blame me. I will have, isn't that great? God says, you have to tell God someday, well, you didn't give any godly shepherds. God says, oh, really? Let me start pointing. Let me go to, let me go to the Korean Peninsula. Let me go to India. Let me go to Brazil. And God will start showing you thousands of godly men all over the world and say, now give me the reason why you couldn't find any church to grow in. Right? It won't be God's fault. He promised in Jeremiah 3.15 that he would do it. I'm so thankful that um, <clears throat> God has led and even corrected me with godly men over the years, used godly men to and pour into my life. And God loves us enough to model what is correct and to correct us when needed. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time in your word again tonight. We pray, Lord, that we would have uh, teachable hearts, all of us, each and every one of us, myself included, that we would be teachable by the Holy Spirit first and foremost, that we would be teachable to the Spirit to the point we really don't even need to be corrected. But if we do, we take it well because, Lord, you desire that your church be a clean bride when you return. And Lord, we pray that you would just uh, continue to keep our eyes fixed on you, that we wouldn't be idle talking, but we'd be having the words of life and faith on our lips. We ask these things in your name. Amen.